Welcome to the Unborn Movement by Words to Inspire. We invite you to be informed, to be involved, and to be in prayer. On these podcasts, you'll hear stories from women and men who tell of the damaging after effects of legal abortion, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Such a dark stain on our nations around the world. The ripple effect on moms, dads, grandparents, and siblings impacts not only this generation, but generations to come. We are committed to also telling you through these dynamic stories about the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. He offers love, forgiveness, and restoration to all who call on Him. We pray that every podcast highlights God's healing grace. And now today's podcast. Welcome to the Unborn Movement podcast. As we begin our second season, I pray that you will join in each time to listen to stories. And I want to welcome our guest for today, Luana Stoltenberg from Iowa. And she has a wonderful story for us today. Luana, welcome to the Unborn Movement podcast. Thank you, Ruth. I'm excited to be here. God is so good. He really is. Luana is an international speaker, and she's author of Singing in the Wilderness. Now, we're going to get to the book in a few minutes. But before we go there, Luana has not allowed her past to dictate her future or her destiny. And she is in politics now and has just had an incredible experience over the last while. Luana, would you start us off today to just tell us what is going on with you and the political realm? I would love to do that. Um, I felt like in, I believe it was like in March that the, actually I've been sort of in the governmental realm for a while, just because of the pro-life issues and being involved in life and trying to bring more of life to government, because I, not that government will ever solve that but that it, it, the government needs to line up with the word of God. And so I felt like in March, the Lord was just calling me um, into that realm. So I began to pray about it and felt like I was to run for the Iowa State House to be in the House of Representatives. So um, talked to a lot of people, got some prayer on it and confirmed it. And so we started into it. And I've helped on campaigns before, but never really run. So it was kind of just like, get up in the morning, pray and ask the Lord what our marching orders were. And we would yeah. go out that day really felt like it was going to be grassroots and it was going to be, you know, this is about the people. And so that's what we did. We did a lot of door knocking. Um, it was church, church friends and intercessory groups. And we would knock doors. And many times when we were talking about the things that were concerning to them, things would come up like concerns they had, and we would be able to pray with them. And that yeah. was just a joy, just a joy to be able to go to these doors. And maybe when we were finished, we would say, you know, is there something we can pray with you about? So that turned into um, the night of the primary. We did have an opponent and we won our race by 69%. So, that's wow. <laughs> so now we are on to the general election um, with our opponent. To God be the glory. And I just love, I've read the book and, and I can see how God has led you step by step. It didn't just begin with this big uh, primary for the House of Representatives in Ottawa, in the state of Iowa. Pardon me. Uh, it started with many little steps and I could see by reading the book that you had, you wanted to impact 
the government. And I give you so much credit for your courage to do that. If, if all of us would enter into even in a small way into the municipal level or the provincial level for us in Canada or the state level, what a difference that would make Luana. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely agree. It does. I mean, that's the word of the Lord. The Lord says that we are to take dominion. We're to go into all the earth and declare the gospel. And that dominion is taking governance. It's, it's ruling and reigning with the Lord. It's, it's calling heaven to come down to earth just as it is in heaven. It would be on this earth. So the only way we can do that is if we take that authority and begin to declare those things of God into our cities, into our government, government mm-hmm. so that our laws they, they reflect the word of God. Absolutely. Yeah. And that they would reflect the majority of the people. And, yeah. uh, and often we see that the majority of people do not allow their voices to be heard. So thank you so much for this. And thank you for praying with these people at the door. I cannot even imagine how my heart would be touched if a, a person running for a political office would stand at my door and pray with me. It would absolutely melt me. And so I believe it would melt hearts that you spoke to. And we'll pray about that too. As I think of you in the coming days, I'm going to pray that those hearts that you've spoken to would really be melted and humbled before God. All we want to do is honor him and bring his principle of life, choosing life, to the forefront. So uh, again, we just thank you so much. So now we're going to go to your book, Singing in the Wilderness. Wow. How in the world do you sing in the wilderness? (laughs) So we'll get to that in a moment. But why were you compelled to write this book? An excellent book, I might say, to those of you that are listening. And make sure, Luana, that you tell them where you can get this book. And uh, it has so much in it, but we'll get there. Why were you compelled to write this book? You know, um, it was years ago, years ago, I was praying and I was reading a book. It was called Twice Pardon. And I felt like the Lord told me, one day you will write your book as well. And it will speak to youth and it will speak to all. And, and so I stored that back. And I thought about it many times. In fact, I even sat down and started writing, but it just seemed like it was like a soap opera and a mess. And so I never really pursued it. And then I started pursuing it again, you know, a few years ago, but I just didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. And then one day a friend of mine called me and just began to talk to me. And before she hung up, she said, I feel like the Lord told me something in prayer for you today. She said, I believe that you have got to get your book written. It's tied to your destiny. And that literally just almost took my wind out. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I have got to be obedient and do this. So I literally just sat before the Lord. I mean, she kind of led me. She said, you've got to put it on your calendar like it's a job and you have to schedule in those days and do it. So I, I did that. You know, it took me maybe about three months to write it and I had somebody edit it, but I sat before the Lord every day and just would pray and ask him to show me how to begin this process and what he wanted in there and what would glorify him. And through it, it was really amazing. I, I mean, I, I knew things were happening in my life, but as I was writing them and documenting them and, and, and remembering them, it's like the Lord was showing me how so many things fit together and why he took me through the things he took me through in my life and how it fit to that next step. You know, kind of like those stepping stones of faith when we step out and we do something, it's always going to be tied to something else. And that's why sometimes it might be a little bit frightening or, you know, we're apprehensive. 
but knowing that it's propelling us to the next thing God has for us. That's so beautiful. Now let's get to some of the issues and some of the things that you faced in the book and what are our listeners ears for your incredible story. Let's start off when you were 16, just before your 16th birthday, kind of catch Mm -hmm. us up. Give us a little bit of that story when you were that teenage gal. Well, I was raised in a home where um, my parents didn't know the Lord. My dad owned a business and he was an alcoholic and a little bit of a um, dominant figure in their lives. And so I was kind of afraid. There was six of us kids and I was in the middle of the pecking order, not really seen or heard and never really felt very loved. And so I started looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for acceptance, looking for, you know, and my definition of love was acceptance from guys. You know, if, if I could be accepted by them or, or, you know, brought in by them, then that must be love. And so that, that seeking led me into a pregnancy. I got pregnant at the age of 15 and I'm scared. I didn't yeah. want to go to my parents. I didn't want to tell them I was afraid what they would do to them, especially back in that time. It yeah. wasn't as prevalent. And so I was really afraid and not knowing what to do. But I finally did go to my parents and talk to them um, about the pregnancy and meetings with the whole family. We led to um, that my boyfriend and I would get married. So we did. We got married, but it was maybe I don't know how many months into it. I had a miscarriage. And so in that, it just felt like we like it was like a year later and we decided that we were just part ways in divorce because the marriage was not going well we were just very young and neither one of us knew the lord so we didn't know how to maneuver through it and become unselfish and give to that other one but if i recall correctly luana this precious baby your firstborn was actually seven months like fully developed uh you know, and, and a, a first grandchild for your parents. So, you know, it sounds, you know, sometimes miscarriage is kind of as if it didn't happen or it really wasn't a, a real baby. There's, there are so many ways that people respond to that, but this was a real baby and uh, that must've been devastating for you. It was devastating for me. And I didn't even know how to process it. I don't no. believe because of myself, I was so young. I was a kid mm-hmm. in so yeah. many ways myself. And I don't believe my parents knew what to do with it or how mm-hmm. to process mm-hmm. it as well. They were kind of absent in the whole process. My my husband at the time, his mother was much more present in it, even though they weren't really either. But yeah, it was very difficult. I mean, this, this child was born fully formed and... Yeah. Um, we didn't have a funeral, but it, there was a burial and there, there is a burial site. Um, my mother-in-law named her Mary. And so, we, I mean, this was a real child. Yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I birthed that child and she was yes. just born. Yeah. Well, and um, the, the uh, whole idea of you getting married because of this baby, it did not give you a grounding to keep that marriage together. So then once that uh, broke up with John, then you had more rejection and more unworthiness uh, sense of feeling. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. How did that lead you then? Well, if, if all of your idea is that this is love, when really is all it is is sex, you know, and then that rejection comes, it, everything falls apart, you know, your whole idea of what it is. And so it was, it was one more rejection. I felt rejected by my 
parents. Now I'm feeling rejected by this. So it leads me to a flailing because I don't have Jesus Christ to lean on. don't even have a relationship with him. So what it led me to was more relationships to find love, which is never a good place when you don't have the right definition of love. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this led you into these uh, promiscuous acts, which then uh, led to a few more pregnancies. Because can you just address that a little bit? Because there will be some listening today that they are scared, they're confused, they are pressured uh, to abort their babies. So could you just talk about that from a personal level and then perhaps uh, share what you would suggest to someone who's in that situation? Yeah. Yeah, as you say that, I felt a little pressured myself. I did, you know, the next relationship that I found, I thought I loved this man. And I thought he loved me. Um, I found out later he was having other relationships with other women on the side, but I got pregnant. So fear again grips me. What am I going to do? I'm in the same position and I should know better. So then shame comes in as well and How do I find myself in this position again? And I will state too, Ruth, that I was on birth control. I, you know, I felt like wow. I, I learned from that last time, but I, I was on birth control and got pregnant anyway. But when I went to my boyfriend to tell him the situation, um, I thought probably maybe we would get married. And he said he emphatically wanted an abortion. He didn't want to be married, not yet. He he wasn't ready for it. And so he pretty much said, if you do not get an abortion, I'm leaving. And so you're on your own with this one. And you know how fear can come in and grip, <sighs> fear of the unknown, fear of doing it alone, fear of going to my parents again and, and giving this news again. How? What are they going to do with me? How are they going to feel about it? Mm. So that fear many times will paralyze us and lead us to very bad decisions when we don't have the right mind about it. Plus you're thinking hormones are playing into this. I'm pregnant, you know, and, yeah. and I'm young. So I did feel a little pressured and coerced. I mean, I wouldn't say he held a gun to my head or anything, but I did feel coerced in the fact that there was fear and I felt like I was going to be alone in that. So I did go ahead with that decision and made that appointment. And I think all the way, all along that process, there was manipulation and coercion. Mm -hmm. And I I feel safe to say that in the abortion industry, that is what takes place. The moment I entered those doors, I was separated from my boyfriend. I was put in a room. I was told that this was safe. It was easy, that it was going to be quick, that this would be no problem. I was told it was not a baby. It was just a clump of cells. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was lie after lie. And when you're in that much pain and shame and you're looking for that answer you'll believe just about anything you will and so i was i was grabbing onto every word they were saying because these were adults they were medical professionals they had white coats on i'm this kid going into this place so i believed what they said and in fact they said that it would be safer than if i even carried to term Mm. so I went ahead with that decision had that abortion that day and it was probably it did not have anesthetic for that abortion. It was probably the most painful thing I've ever been through. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday, my body shaking on the table, holding on. I had um, the most common abortion in the first trimester, a surgical abortion, which is a vacuum aspirator method. It's literally where they vacuum that child out limb by limb. And I know that that's very graphic, but that, you know, our world needs to hear how barbaric these procedures are and how unsafe they are. This 
this is not health care and, and this is not help to a woman. We've yeah. got to have better solutions for a woman than to just dismember her child and then throw her out there to live with that for the rest of her life. You, you know, but that is what I went through. And I mean, <clears throat> even though I thought this maybe was still a right choice, you carry that emotionally and that trauma of that. I mean, I looked over and I could, I could hear the sound and I could see the splattering of the blood in the jar. And you know, there's something in your mind. I thought, what is that? That isn't just a few clumps or cells. And I could hear the labor of the machine working when pieces and parts were going through. So I kept trying to look to see what, what is this going into this jar? And they kept pushing me down and pushing me back. And immediately when it was over, mm-hmm. when they, out of the rooms, I could not see it. So very, very traumatic. And then no care afterwards, just thrown into a room and told, you know, in 20 minutes, if, if you're feeling okay, you can have this juice and then you leave. And um, I, I remember the trauma driving home. I was laying in the back seat of this car, writhing in pain, bleeding profusely. We were about an hour and a half away from where I lived. And when I got back, I called that facility to tell them the issues I was having. And basically, they just said, I'm sorry, you're no longer a problem. You're going to have to call your own doctor. I didn't have a doctor. You know, it was my parents' doctor, if I would call any doctor. And I wanted no one to know what, what I had just done. No one. And so that secrecy you know, secrets make us sick, but I needed to keep this secret because I didn't know want anyone to know what I just done. I inherently knew it was wrong. Just wow. Wow. All those lies from those people that you trusted, those people that you were thought were looking after your health. And uh, wow. Thank you so much for courageously uh, sharing that that part. And I agree with you. We need to know what goes on behind those closed doors and why those closed doors are closed and why they're usually down at the end of a hall. Uh, So thank you for sharing that. I know that that doesn't bring you any pleasure to share it, but because you know that it could make a difference in someone that's listening. So now just speak to the one that's contemplating abortion and then, then address the one that's already had one like you. So kind of separate those two. Let's start with the one that may be thinking that abortion is the only way out. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say to that woman, if you are contemplating abortion, please reconsider. Know that there are better options for you, that this isn't a finality, that this is not the end of the world. I remember feeling that hopelessness, like, oh, my my life is over. And that is not true at all. This is a temporary, maybe bump in the road. I have never met a woman who kept her child or gave it for adoption and regretted it. Never. But I have met so many women that have regretted aborting that child. So I would just say, please, prayerfully reconsider. Know that this is your child. This is your child, whether it be your first child or your fourth child. This is your child. It is a piece and a part of you. And there is a plan for that child. And even if that plan may not fit into your life, there is someone out there that is longing to have a child right now that would be so blessed mm. to have a child would love to raise your child and love it. And someday, even though 
you don't even realize it right now. You might get to meet that child and then be a part of that child's life. Maybe when they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, but you will get to meet that child and you will not have to live with the shame or the guilt or wondering who was that child? Who would that child have grown up to be? You know, that, that plagues a woman, it does. So I would say reconsider there are better options for you than to kill your child. And for that, yes, we- yeah, she's already a mother when she's pregnant, right? Yes, right. Yes. Once, once we have that seed, uh, fertilized egg in our body, we are mothers. Yes. And so, I think that's the, the struggle after mm-hmm. having an abortion. One of the struggles mm-hmm. that we have taken the life of our child, and you ex- have expressed that so well. So now, mm-hmm. speak to the one that, like you, has mm-hmm. had abortion. Uh, and and how can you encourage them today? Well, I would say to that one um, that's had an abortion, if you are feeling guilt or shame, or, or if, if you have like this foreboding, maybe at different times of the year, and you don't understand why or whatever, I would say to you, God loves you. God loves you so much. And there is not, abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Abortion is is not something that's going to absolutely separate you from God. The Lord is waiting. I mean, if you close your eyes and picture God is waiting with open arms to bring you in and hold you and embrace you and forgive you. One of my most favorite scriptures when I came to know the Lord, knowing all the things I had done was that scripture that talks about the Lord throws our sins as far as the East is from the West. And he doesn't remember them anymore. And I remember struggling with that because it was hard to forgive myself. And um, uh, uh, someone who like a mentor said to me, Think of it as the sea of forgetfulness. And if you throw that sin in that sea, it's gone. You cannot keep trying to pick it up. That is what the Lord has done. He has literally forgotten it. And when we keep going back, trying to relive that or beat ourselves up for it or, or feeling that shame, God is saying, I don't remember it. You brought it to me. You are sorry for it. I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. Don't condemn yourself. So I would say receive what God has for you. Because when we receive, you know, once we've confessed that secret, that secret's out in the open, that secret can't hurt us anymore. It's not a secret. It's not. The enemy cannot beat us up with it anymore. But God can use it as a seed. And he can plant it. And many amazing things can grow from it. Our stories can bring freedom to other people. Reminds me of Isaiah 61, another one of my favorite chapters. But the Lord talks about how he has come, that anointing breaks the yoke. And he has come to bind up those that are so brokenhearted, but to set those captives free. Our confession is literally a key that can go into a, a, a chained up mess and, and a lock and literally set us free from all those things that held us in that bondage and captivity. And then we be, can begin to use our stories or whatever else, our freedom, you know, and our boldness, our courage to begin to set others free and to live as God ordained and desired and destined us to do in the forming of the womb. When he knit us together, he had that plan. And so then it sets us free to live in that plan. 
That's so powerful, Luana. And I, I just know that when we speak these words of truth, and you've used such a beautiful scripture, God's mercy and healing grace, you are living example of a past that, uh, that you could have stayed in your shame and in your pain and in your guilt and in your self-condemnation, but you have accepted that gift that Jesus offers to everyone. Every single one on this earth, he offers it. It's a matter of receiving it. And you're such a great example because you've gone on now to take those bad choices that you made. And as God weaves those bad choices into the plan, it has driven you into this wonderful walk of, of um, pro-life ministry and now onto the House of Representatives in the state of Iowa. And I will say to you, you have some dynamic endorsers for your book. When I noticed that uh, Governor uh, Mike Huckabee from Arkansas, uh, though he's not presently, but was for many years, when he endorsed your book, that brought in this, this uh, affirmation that God, in his great mercy, what the enemy meant to to destroy you god has meant it for good and then rick santorum has uh, written the forward in your book i mean girl this is amazing and so to those listening today if you give god a chance if you allow jesus to to give you the gift he's already given it but you have to receive it there's two parts to this so his provision is there just like luana has shared and i pray that all of you will get her book it has spoken to me and uh get let us hear how you we can get that book uh singing in the wilderness well you can just go to amazon.com and put in singing or the in the wilderness or put my name uh, um, in, and that book will come up, and you can just order it. Or I do have a website. It is um, my name, so which both my first and my last name are hard, but it is L-U-A-N-A, that's my first name, Luana, and then Stoltenberg, S-T-O-L-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. It's just LuanaStoltenberg.com. And you can Google that, and then you can order the book off that as well. That's perfect. And one of the strengths of this book is every chapter starts with a powerful scripture and it words to inspire lifelong empowerment from God's word. We focus on on scripture. And so, Loana, as we're closing off your part today, would you give us another scripture that would um, just maybe carry someone through today to lead them to the next step to bring them to Christ? Amen. I have so many scriptures. Um, I know. <laughs> I love scripture. It, life truly is life to us. It, it brings life. It is life to us. And so when we are in that word, life comes forth from it. Literally letting it, just, um, just letting it free you and bring life to you. It's I, I don't even know how to explain it, Ruth. It is what got me through my life and brought me through the next step because it is life. It, it, this word, when we just let it wash over us and do its work in us, it transforms us. Yeah, you know, that's right. That's, that's what Romans says. You know, it will transform us if we, if we conform not to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind through that word. It will shift and change our thinking where all our thinking is wrong. But one of the scriptures that really helped me and got me through it was 2 Corinthians 17. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus, 
He is a new creation. All the old has gone. Behold, all things are new. And as that literally got in me and I realized, I now that I've given my life to him and he's forgiven me, I'm a new creation. I, I mean, his word says we can do all things in Christ Jesus. And so, and not that it's it's me doing it or I want the recognition for it. It's just being led by the spirit of God and with God, all things are possible. I mean, he can take you places you would never have dreamed of. I'm, I mean, I've never sought after any place I've ever gone. I've, I've just prayed and spent time with him and he'll give me ideas or I'll write things down and, and then I'll just follow through with them. And so he has, the spirit of God has led, I believe, led me through my life. And it hasn't, I mean, it's not like it's this wonderful bed of roses. There's been very difficult things that's happened Mm -hmm. in my life, but we all will have difficult things and it's what we choose to do with them. Are, are we going to sing through them and worship the Lord through them, knowing he can bring good forth from them? Or are we just going to go down into that valley and that depth and let them bury us because we are not under our circumstances. We are not. We can rise above them and let God use them for amazing things. And so that that is a perspective all of us need in our life, especially in the world that we live in right now. I mean, we we could be buried under all the things that are happening. But God, God, God is Lord of all. The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. And we always have to be reminded of that, that God is over this. He's not sitting there wringing his hands. He knows it all. And in fact, he's using the enemy as a tool. The enemy is this big and he isn't in control and God's just trying to react to him. God has this amazing plan and we are part of it. And so if we just get our perspective from him and we move forward, we see things like, the decision of, of Roe versus Wade being overturned in the darkest time yeah. with the darkest administration, the Lord punches a hole through it and <laughs> shines light and says, see, see, I can do it in the darkest times. And so it's, it, it, it can be exciting as long as we just have that right perspective and we're praising the Lord. I really yeah. believe a lot of victory comes in praising the Lord. If you want to be near totally. the Lord, in Psalms 99, it talks about, or Psalms 100, I believe it is, it's, we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We enter his courts with praise. If you mm. want to be in the courts of the Lord and you want to be nearest to him, begin to worship and praise him. And all the cares of the world have to fall away. And you'll begin to have right perspective. And then you'll see things are so amazing. God is so good. Wow. That scripture, uh, the um, you're a new creature. So. You are, are not the same woman. You're not the same teenager. You are a different person. And that's what he offers us. It's a new person that exists now to praise and glorify God and to be involved in politics. Luana, thank you so much for giving us this your time today and for expressing in such a raw but poignant way uh, your experience and now the glory that God has given to you to impact your generation your nation, your state, because of your willingness to stand up for life. Thank you so much for joining us. Amen. Thank you so much, Ruth, for having me. I pray for these. They'll find freedom. Absolutely. We pray that. So thank you for joining us today on the Unborn Movement podcast. Please go to my website, wordstoinspire.ca. On the menu, click on podcasts. Then you can subscribe and get every single 
podcast edition uh, when you subscribe to the Unborn Movement. Do it and share it with your friends. There are some there out there today that need to hear Luana's story, so share it. And until next time, I'm Ruth Coghill with the Unborn Movement. Bye for now. As we close off today, I invite you to be part of the Unborn Movement. There are several ways to be involved. Why not join the Unborn Movement Facebook page, get involved in a local pregnancy center, or start the conversation in your church, providing a safe place for stories to be told. For there is a lot of pain in the pews. Find out more about our ministry at wordstoinspire.ca or contact me, Ruth, at wordstoinspire.ca. Until next time, I'm Ruth Coghill for the Unborn Movement. Bye for now.